Well, good morning, everybody. As Drew prayed, uh, we are stepping into uh, Holy Week, which is uh, uh, an incredible opportunity for us every single year uh, to be reminded about what the incredible work of Jesus uh, was on our behalf when he came uh, to planet Earth. My name is Joel, and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm excited to be with you guys uh, this morning as we step into uh, Palm Sunday. And uh, every single year we get this opportunity to step in and see uh, the progression of Jesus, the, the, the events that surrounded Jesus uh, taking his march toward uh, the cross of Calvary. Um, every single year we get this opportunity and it's, and it's incredible to me because uh, I've been following Jesus for uh, a few years now, probably about 15 years or so. Uh, and on my journey of following Jesus, every single year as I step back into the story of what Jesus did as he approached the cross, I am continually blown away at all there is to learn and understand and know about what Jesus did uh, when he came to planet Earth. Uh, it's been said before that everything you need to uh, know about God and, and everything you need to have a relationship with God, uh, if you were looking at it like a library, is kind of there on the bottom shelf. Like it's accessible uh, to everybody, to, uh, to the young and to the old, to the rich and to the poor. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your level of education is, everything you really need to know in order to have a relationship with God is on that bottom shelf. But as you study the beauty of, of all that is in the gospel, the shelf reaches up into the heavens eternally uh, because we could be spending the rest of our lives, every breath, every moment of every day studying the realities of the gospel and we would never run dry for the beauty uh, that can be found there. So we're gonna be stepping in uh, this week to Palm Sunday. We are walking into Holy Week together and I'm excited because I think there's a lot of beauty uh, to be uh, discovered. Why don't you grab your Bibles? We're gonna go to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse 11. If you're uh, looking at one of the Mosaic Bibles, uh, if you grabbed one on your way in, it's going to be on page 606. If you don't have a, a, a good Bible at home, grab one of ours, take it, put your name in it, read it. We're big fans of the author around here. <laughs> it's the Word of God. It's awesome. Page 606, and uh, we're starting in Luke chapter 19. Now to give you a little bit of context of where we're at in the story, uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, um, and we know uh, to be crucified, and on his way he stops in this city uh, named Jericho. And uh, he's just experienced uh, kind, of a, kind of this story uh, in Jericho where he's got all these people pressing in and all of these people following him because over the last three years, Jesus' life and ministry has been full of incredible teaching that ne no one has ever really experienced uh, before. Uh, not only has he been teaching with authority, uh, but he's also been backing up his teaching and backing up his authority by performing signs and wonders and miracles. The, the sick are being healed. Uh, people who couldn't walk, who were lame, 
could walk, people who were blind could see, people who were deaf could hear. Everywhere Jesus went, he turned uh, what was broken and, and, and made it right again. He turned uh, things that were dead and made them alive. He even uh, raised someone from the dead. I mean, Jesus is doing all these incredible things uh, for three years, and people are starting to kind of take some serious notice of this person, Jesus, from, uh, from Nazareth, this person who really uh, shouldn't have much going for him. Nazareth was kind of a, a town on the outskirts. Nothing really good ever came from Nazareth. But this man, Jesus, he was uh, walking and, and teaching and healing the sick uh, with an authority that people had never seen before. And the people of Israel were, were, were beginning to question and wonder, could Jesus actually be the Messiah, the promised one, the person uh, who, who God had been promising the people of Israel for generations that would come and be the deliverer of the nation of Israel. At this time, uh, Israel was under Roman occupation. Uh, they were able to, to live and work and, and make trade, but they were heavily taxed uh, by the Roman government. Uh, there were leaders that were uh, placed over the people that, that were, uh, some of them were Gentile leaders, and there were also some Jewish people that were in, uh, in cahoots with the Roman government that were heavily taxing uh, the Jews. And uh, there was this one tax collector, uh, and he wasn't just uh, any tax collector, uh, but his name was Zacchaeus. You guys ever heard of Zacchaeus? If you've been around church, uh, you may have heard his story. Uh, we know that Zacchaeus was, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up into a sycamore tree to see what he could see. You right? Okay. So my voice isn't quite like the angel voice of Drew or anything like that, but, but you guys get the, the, the idea. If you've been around church for a while, you remember the story of Zacchaeus and that he was kind of pressing in and trying to see Jesus as he was coming into Jericho, uh, but because he was short, he couldn't see him, but the reality is, is that not only was he short, but he was an outcast. He was a traitor. He was a Jew who was in uh, cahoots with the Roman government and heavily taxing the people, and he was pushed to the side because the people of Israel were ready to break free from Roman occupation and Roman oppression. And so as Jesus enters the city of Jericho, there's, there's a lot of buzz around his entry. And Jesus uh, says some pretty incredible things. I want you guys to take a look uh, at Matthew, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter uh, 19. Now Jesus has uh, just gone into Jericho. He's actually just spent some time with Zacchaeus, uh, the outcast. He's actually set Zacchaeus free. Zacchaeus decides to, uh, because of his encounter with Jesus, to sell everything uh, and, and to give, pay back everybody that, that, that he has wronged, which is a lot of people, and his life is transformed. And, and so the, the city of Jericho is, man, they are uh, excited. That to, their, their minds are blown at all that Jesus has been doing and saying, and they're wondering, could could he potentially be the Messiah? And this is what Luke records. Uh, in verse 11, he says, As they heard these things, he proceeded, Jesus, to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's getting close. And because they, the people, supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. 
So Luke records that Jesus is here. He's in Jericho. He's just had this encounter with with Zacchaeus. He's had a life-changing encounter with Zacchaeus. The people are in anticipation of all that Jesus is doing. They're not sure what he's going to do to to overthrow the Roman government. They've seen that he has the power uh, over death. They've seen that he has the power over sickness. They've seen that he even has the power over demons as he's cast out demons. And they think to themselves, man, if Jesus shows up to Jerusalem, He is going to come in power and he is going to smite the Roman Empire, smite the Roman government, and he's going to give back the power to the nation of Israel. And we're going to rule and reign alongside Jesus, who could be the Messiah. And we we, we are about to see the kingdom of God at hand, demonstrated in power, because Jesus is here and he could be the Messiah. Messiah. So Jesus tells that story because he, he senses and he knows that they are supposing that the kingdom of God is at hand and Jesus is about to rule and reign. Why don't you turn over? We're going to go to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, uh, as we come out of the city of Jericho, uh, we're going to head into the city of Jerusalem along with Jesus and his disciples. Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to start in verse 29. So Jesus is getting ready to leave Jericho, heading toward Jerusalem, and he has this encounter uh, with some blind men. It's pretty amazing. He says in verse 29, as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. He is being uh, followed because they are anticipating some pretty amazing stuff is going to happen when he heads into Jerusalem. Verse 30, it says, and behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the the crowd, they rebuked him. They rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, now if we think about this scene, Jesus is uh, proceeding toward Jerusalem. He's got a mob of people following behind him. They're anticipating that Jesus is going to walk into Jerusalem and open up a holy can of whoop-up on the Roman government. They're excited. They're anticipating. They can't wait to see what's going to happen. And as he continues, there are these two blind men asking Jesus, the son of David, to have mercy on them. And the crowd is saying, you two blind men, shut up. We've got more important things to do than to deal with you and your small problem. But stopping, Jesus called to them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be open. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. In the midst of all of this incredible, uh, epic uh, moment that is building as Jesus is walking from Jericho to Jerusalem, getting ready to go into the city and from the perspective of the people, uh, take take back uh, the nation of Israel from the hand of Rome, Jesus is still intent on transforming individual lives forever. Matthew 21, verse 1 says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, and they came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied 
and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. I'd kind of like to be able to use that power, but like show up at a Lexus dealership. You know, just be like, oh, the Lord needs them. (laughs) Sell those jokers on eBay, all right? All right, so this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a beast of burden. Now, Traditionally, if you look at any ancient culture, if a king was coming in and declaring to his nation that that the nation is victorious, they've won the war, they've won the battle, there's more war that's coming, but we are victorious, we're winning the fight, uh, we are, are seated in victory, the king would not come riding a donkey. The king would come perhaps riding a stallion, maybe a white horse, a a symbol of war, a symbol saying that we are in power, we are in control, we are dominant, we are winning. But what does Jesus do? As the people are expecting him to come and supernaturally, victoriously deliver the people from the hand of Rome, Rather than riding in on a horse, Jesus comes in on a donkey. He comes in speaking peace, promoting peace. This is a prophecy from the book of Zechariah, chapter 9. If you want to go look at it, uh, it's incredible. Uh, Verses 9 and 10 kind of talk through this this picture of, of a king coming in in peace and that no more will be needed the chariots, no more will be needed the, the war horses, that all of the, the, the striving and the fighting will be, will be forgotten and peace will be brought. And doesn't that remind you of the, the time when Jesus was announced to some shepherds in a, in a field by some angels and what did they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. See, as Jesus sent his disciples in to go get some donkeys, what he was declaring is that we're not bringing war against Rome. We're doing something altogether more beautiful by bringing peace from God to Man, how incredible and beautiful is that? Verse six says, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, uh, put, them, put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground and others cut branches from the trees, palm trees, and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him, that followed him, were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. The word Hosanna there means, oh, come, oh, save us. It's a declaration that that the people were anticipating that Jesus, the Messiah, he was coming, and he was coming to save them. And they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They're declaring that, that he is the Messiah and that he has come from God. 
And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? Could this be the Messiah? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, of all places, of Galilee. See, not only was the city abuzz and excited because Jesus was coming to, re- uh, to redeem them from the grip of Rome, but Jesus didn't come in on Palm Sunday on any day. Palm Sunday wasn't, uh, wasn't a random date on the calendar. Jesus showed up into Jerusalem on a particular day, on an important day, during the festival of Passover. Passover had been celebrated by the people of Israel ever since the people of Israel had left the nation of Egypt in the Exodus. People of Israel had had, uh, grown up in Egypt. Uh, Joseph came there and, uh, and he rose into power, became second in command under Pharaoh. And the nation of Israel flourished in Egypt. They grew very, very large until generations had passed and the Pharaoh had forgotten who Joseph was and saw the nation of Israel growing mighty. And so they decided to enslave the nation of Israel and, and turn them into a workforce. And the people of Israel cried out to God and asked for a deliverer. And God sent Moses. And Moses went to the, people, or to the Pharaoh and said, let my people Go And God sent plague after plague after plague after plague to the nation of Egypt as Pharaoh kept uh, denying the, the, the nation of Israel to be able to be released until the 10th plague. All these other plagues were, uh, were destroying the land, destroying crops, the, the Nile River turning into blood, hail, all of these different plagues, people's skin was turning into boils. Oh, it's just terrible stuff. And yet the, the hard heart of Pharaoh would not allow the nation of Israel to go until the 10th plague. And the 10th plague, Moses came to Pharaoh and said, uh, for this 10th plague, if you don't release the people of Israel, every firstborn son in Egypt will die. And God told Moses to go to the people of Israel and instruct the people of Israel that the the angel of death would come through uh, the, the, the nation of Egypt and kill the firstborn son unless a lamb was slaughtered and the blood of the lamb was was painted over the doorpost. And for every household where the blood of the lamb was painted over the doorpost, the, the angel of death would pass over that house and the firstborn would live. And ever since the 10th plague, the nation of Israel has celebrated the feast, the festival of Passover, remembering that God used those plagues to deliver them, the nation of Israel, out of the hand of Egypt so that they could eventually enter into the promised land. And as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he doesn't come in on any day. He doesn't come in on any random date on the calendar. Instead, Jesus comes in on the 10th day of the month of Nisan. Yeah! 
Oh, you want to know what the 10th day of the month of Nisan's all about, don't you? Okay, okay, that's a imp- very important detail. So the 10th day of the month of Nisan was known as Lamb Selection Day. As Jesus comes into Jerusalem, what is simultaneously happening is that the festival of Passover is taking place and all around on the 10th day of Nisan, the Passover lambs that were going to be sacrificed in the temple were also being brought into the city. So at the same moment that the Passover lambs were being brought into the city to be sacrificed in the temple, Jesus is walking into Jerusalem at that very time. And it gets better. On the 14th day of Nisan, at nine in the morning, the Passover lambs, were being brought into the temple to be slain. And between the 10th day of Nisan and the 14th day of Nisan, those Passover lambs were scrutinized. They were were inspected. They were tested. The people of Israel wanted to be sure that there was no blemish and no spot on any of the Passover lambs, that they would be an acceptable sacrifice to God on behalf of the people. And we know that as Jesus is in Jerusalem, what happens after Palm Sunday is that he is arrested, and he is tried, and he is tested, and he is inspected And in the words of Pontius Pilate, they found no fault in him. (laughs) And it gets better. At 9 a.m. as the Passover lambs were being brought into the temple to be slain, Jesus was nailed to a wooden cross. And at 3 p.m., as the last Passover lamb was killed by the high priest on behalf of the nation of Israel, at 3 p.m., Jesus cries out on the cross, It is finished. And he gave up his spirit. Wow. See, the people of Israel were expecting Jesus to come in and snap his fingers and take rule and reign back from the nation of Rome and give it to the people of Israel. But Jesus was up to so much more than that. When Jesus was walking into Jerusalem, he was on a mission not to defeat the power of Rome and free the people of Israel, 
But instead, Jesus was on a mission to defeat the power of sin and death and free you and me. Are you kidding? Yeah, you can clap for Jesus on that. And this is what Palm Sunday is all about. This is what this moment in time is all about, where you and I can look back and see that Jesus was heading into Jerusalem to free you and me from sin and death once and for all, so that we would no longer have to, as a people, depend on a festival, depend on a sacrifice every single year, depend on a cycle of I've sinned, I need a sacrifice, and then I'm right with God again. But instead, Jesus became our Passover lamb once and for all so that by faith in him, we might be released from the grip of sin and death. Jesus did not do that for one people for one particular time to release them for one, from one particular bondage. Jesus came and did that for all people, for all time, so that we could be released from the bondage of sin and death for eternity. Oh my gosh, that's why we call this Holy Week. It's amazing. It's amazing. And when John the Baptist uh, sees Jesus, it's, it's this moment where Jesus has just beginning his ministry. John sees Jesus walking by and he's with his disciples and he points out Jesus and he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, this is he of whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. See, the plan of God all along has been that Jesus would come as the Passover lamb, that he would come to live a life that was without spot, without blemish, where we could find no fault in him and to die a horrific death on a Roman cross as a sacrificed and slaughtered lamb so that you and I would not have to be slaughtered as we deserve to be for the sin that we have committed against a righteous and holy and perfect God. And the plan of God was that Jesus would become our sin. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us us on the cross so that we might become the righteousness of God. This has been the plan of God since before he said, let there be light. The book of Revelation says that Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. This has always been God's plan. This has always been the purpose of Jesus. And you and I, human beings, we tend to see life as all about the here and now. The people of Israel just wanted to be released from the nation of Rome. 
But God is up to something so much bigger and so much more beautiful and so much more eternal. And to this very day, in 2016, Jesus is still stopping on the road to notice a couple of blind men and turning their hearts from dead into life. He is still changing lives today. Here at Mosaic Church, Jesus is still changing our lives. So today for Palm Sunday, we're gonna celebrate the Lamb of God that was slain for us. And we're gonna do some baptisms. And it's gonna be fun. We're gonna celebrate. We're gonna celebrate that Jesus is still changing lives 2,000 years after he marched into Jerusalem. God has been unfolding this beautiful plan from eternity past, and we have the privilege of participating in his plan. How incredible is that? Mosaic, let's pray together. God, we're grateful for you. We're thankful that you have had this plan in your heart since before you even said, let there be light, before we ever sinned in the Garden of Eden, before we were conceived, before we were born, you have been planning to redeem by the blood of the Lamb. That Jesus, you were the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world and that you came, that you emptied yourself of all of your divine attributes and you put on human flesh and you were born into relative obscurity and you lived life on this planet. But then you came and you lived and you ministered for three years in a remarkable way. And you taught and you healed and you proclaimed freedom to the captive. Jesus, thank you that you are our perfect Passover lamb. That in you there is no blemish, in you there is no spot. And that Jesus, you offered yourself up for us so that by faith in you, we might live free for eternity. Thank you, Jesus, that you were the lamb that was selected. We're, we're excited to, to worship you. We're excited to participate in your story. We're thankful for an opportunity yet again during Holy Week to remind ourselves of all of the infinite beauty that there is in the gospel. God, help us to be in awe of you, to know that we can participate in your story, that we have been bought with a price, that we have been redeemed, that we have been set free, that we have been given purpose. What a beautiful thing. We worship you today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.